I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. In the next hour, it's a writer and musician who once walked from Amsterdam to Istanbul, a folk singer from Halifax, Nova Scotia, which, not to brag, was ranked the fourth best place to live in Canada, and a voice actor who, in his role as an aggrieved patriarch and former boy adventurer, gets to say lines like, Apparently, this is the reward I get for years of screwing with super science. (laughs) It's, it's... Theater in Portland, Oregon. It's Livewire with Venture Brothers actor James Urbaniak, musician and podcaster John Roderick, and music from Rose Cousins. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We've also got comedy from the Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to, and as always, music from our house band this week, led by Mr. Jim Brunberg. So as some of you uh, found out recently by looking at my face, I am not Courtney Hameister. And in fact, I'm hosting Livewire for the rest of the season because Courtney has decided to step away from hosting the show. But hold on, there's actually a very good reason and reasons, and she's actually going to come out and explain those to us right now. So please, without further ado, please welcome Courtney Hameister on the greatest job she never asked to have. The battlefield promotion. It was a phrase I'd never given much thought to until it was applied to me a few months ago. A friend used it to describe how I became the host of Livewire. When the show started nine years ago, I was head writer and a member of the sketch comedy troupe Faces for Radio Theater. We were just a young, scrappy show that recorded an hour-long show once a month that aired on our local NPR affiliate, OPB. Our host was Rob Sample, and he was the perfect host. He was smooth and professional and very radio-friendly. But Rob had a full-time job that conflicted with the show. Uh, I (laughs) didn't. So I was given the aforementioned battlefield promotion. Uh, A battlefield promotion is what happens in combat when a soldier does something so heroic that he or she is given a promotion on the spot, no red tape required. But it is also used in the business world to describe someone who's given a promotion in an emergency situation and may not have the means to handle it yet. Uh, but I wasn't, I wasn't offended by the characterization because at the time, I was not like Rob, a smooth, confident pro with just the silky voice one needs for a career in radio. I was, in fact, an awkward, insecure amateur with just the rough voice needed for a career in either the phlebotomy or small engine repair fields. 
But I was lucky in that I had pr producers who were willing to allow me to grow with the show, and eventually I found my footing. It also didn't hurt that with hosts like Ira Glass, Robert Krolwich, and Click and Clack, awkward was totally in. And I was going to ride that nerd wave all the way into the sunny shores of Dork City, USA. And over the years, hosting the show meant meeting and talking to some of my heroes. John Hodgman, Susan Orlean, Mike Berbiglia, even cartoonist Linda Berry, who is the only person I've written a fan letter to in my life. I didn't even write a fan letter to Sean Cassidy, and I had his picture stuck up in the slats of my canopy bed so that I could look at it before falling asleep every night, which explains a lot about my sleep problems that I still have. Um... And as a writer, I can never put into words what it meant meeting the extraordinary and extraordinarily kind writer David Rakoff before he passed away last year. It is a gift to a person who seeks to lead a creative life to allow them to sit on stage every week and ask the best and the brightest creative people in the country how it is that they do what they do. It is as if I've been in the longest MFA program ever, but I got paid to attend. Take that, uppity grad school admissions jerks who didn't let me in because I didn't finish college or return my library book so I could get my transcripts. Uh, but there is another big difference, uh, um, and that is that I attended my nine-year MFA program on stage in front of 400 people, and there, as they say, was the rub. I know that you're nice people, you seem like nice people. I think there are 330 to 375 of you that I would get drunk with and make bad choices. <laughs> but as a group, your presence tripped a wire in my brain and sometimes, out of nowhere, I would be filled with spilkes. From the Yiddish, nervous energy without purpose. And I tried to ameliorate it. I tried to picture you all in your underwear, but Portland people wear so many layers of fleece that it just wasn't an option for me, ever. So this went on for months, uh, but there were so many reasons to ignore that fact, so many things that I loved about the show, so many people and ideas that I loved that I just ignored it. But then I had my gallbladder removed in January, which I've... I've talked about on the show. And at my follow-up appointment, my doctor told me that, that the gallstones were most likely caused by stress, which gave me pause. You see, I, like most of you, don't have a lot of expendable organs left. And I've got an appendix, I have a spleen, I have one kidney that I think I don't need, before the spilkis starts attacking the stuff I really need, like my stomach or my heart. So I've decided to hand over the mic to someone else, and tonight and for the rest of the season, we're giving it to Luke Burbank, who has done an amazing job on our last two shows, and I'm sure we'll keep kicking ass. And as for me, I'll continue as head writer and co-producer, and you'll hear me on the show periodically, reading essays and giving the stink eye to my successor. <laughs> yes, my stink eye is so strong, you can hear it on the radio. <laughs> I'm also, I'm also going to finish that book that I've been working on for, coincidentally, nine years. <laughs> David Rakoff said that the best gift this American life gave to him was the comma writer after his name. And I can say the same for Livewire. But I would add a thanks to everyone who's ever listened and written in. When you write about your fears and your secrets and say, hypothetically, the time you put a candy bar down your pants to keep yourself from eating it... You do so in the hopes that someone will hear it and say, I can relate, or that's me too, or I totally did that last week with a $100,000 bar. <laughs> Most writers are hoping for proof that we're not the freak that we always thought we were. And the most important thing that you've taught me, kind and generous Livewire audience members, is that I am actually a freak. But I'm in good company because so are you. And the great thing is... If all of us are freaks, then none of us are freaks. I thank you for that lesson and for nine extraordinary years. Thank you so much for listening.
Rose Cousins is a multi-award-winning singer-songwriter from Prince Edward Island, Canada. She now lives in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but she's made quite an impact here in the U.S. She's been a USA Today Pick of the Week, featured in O Magazine, and her latest album was one of NPR's top Americana albums of the year. This has been a particularly good year for her. She was nominated in February for a Juno Award, which is the Canadian Grammys. That's for her most recent album, We Have Made a Spark. And just last month, her song, Go First, was featured on Grey's Anatomy in that one scene where McDreamy was talking to McSteamy about a preemie. Uh, it's unforgettable. Please welcome Rose Cousins to Livewire. Take a light into the darkest to know the light. To know the dark, go into the dark. You can lock the door, yeah, you know how. You can stay alone, you're so proud, but you can't keep the dark. This out. Well, you're probably the strongest one I know. You got the thickest skin, you got weight to throw, but you can't keep the darkness out. You Cousins here on Live Wire. That was Rose Cousins, and you're listening to Live Wire Radio. Honey, honey, can you come in here? Yeah, what's up? I'm going through the mail, and we're getting a ton of weird bills. Mm, what does that mean, weird well, bills? Let's see. 
$6,000 for a deluxe bouncy house. $19,000 for a hot air balloon stunt team. $5,000 for S. Duval tears. What the hell is that? Oh, that's Shelly Duval. A vial of her tears are available to purchase on her website. Steve, tell me that these were sent to us by mistake. Tell me you didn't buy Shelly Duval's tears from the internet. I can't tell you that, no. Steve, am I going to freak out? Probably. Uh, look, remember when I said I had the best April Fool's Day prank idea? No. Well, I probably didn't tell you because I thought you'd be, you know... Rational, sensible, logical? Unsupportive. Donna, in secret and for many months, I planned the greatest April Fool's prank ever. It was so elaborate and so had so many ideas that the point became lost, even to me. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, I got so into the planning and staging, I kind of forgot the point. Who was the prank supposed to be on? You. I don't remember any prank. Well, you were out of town. I totally forgot that you're going on that yoga thingamajig. Retreat. It was a yoga retreat, and it was on the calendar for six months. Still not sure what it means when something is on the calendar, but uh, that's for another time. <sighs> okay. Back to the bills. Why were we charged $6,000 for the bounce house? It turns out, not a good idea to put a puma in a bouncy house. What did you need a puma for? Well, I needed one for the MacGuffin and one for whoa, the... Whoa, 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 whoa. You had more than one puma? What? At $20,000 a piece? Yeah, one live one, one dead one. Dead one was only ten grand. okay? Doug Henning was going to bring the dead one back to life using the other puma. But you can't really reanimate a puma, I found D out. Doug, Hen Doug Henning has been dead for 13 years. And that's why he didn't show up and Bill Henning did. He charged $37,000. He looked just like Doug, Donna. What? Wait, you had a full-scale model of the cheer set built? Yeah, that was one of the red herrings. Anyway, Ted Danson lit it on fire, so... Steve, you spent over $300,000. Well, it adds up. How are you going to pay for this? Glad you asked. Are you? It was a lie, I have no idea. Steve... People have divorced over less than this. Okay, in my own defense, I was thinking about making you look foolish to a scale that heretofore, as of yet, has never been witnessed. So it's actually pretty romantic. Romantic? Look, I'll figure something out. Well, you'd better, because... Steve? Yeah? What's growling behind me? Um... Steve? Yeah, it's the puma. Steve! Ted Danson's back there, too. That was Laura Faye Smith and Andrew Harris. You are listening to Livewire right now, and we surely do appreciate it. And by the way, if you have a show, and you probably do, what with the era of podcasting, and you would like us to listen to it, we'd be happy to do that too. This is not just about us, people. Except right at this moment when it is exclusively about us, uh, it turns out. Coming up, actor James Urbaniak, John Roderick of The Long Winters, and more from Rose Cousins. We'll be right back with more Live Wire. John Roderick is a musician, a writer, a podcaster, a social critic, and according to the writer John Hodgman, a feral mountain man. He's the lead singer of the Seattle band The Long Winters. He's also played with the likes of Death Cab for Cutie, The Decemberists, and Not a Surf. He can also be heard as the co-host of the podcast Roderick on the Line, where he and his buddy Merlin Mann tape a weekly phone conversation. 
He's also often seen nerd cruising the high seas, which he can explain to us when we do this interview. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Roderick to Livewire. Because this is radio, we're going to tell them that that was good dancing you did coming out on stage. Thank you. I'm from Seattle. Famous dancer. Uh, and famous cruiser of the high seas with people who are fans of your music and your writing and your podcasting. How did this thing happen that all of these pasty, book-read, book-smart people decided... Careful. That's racist. ...started to take <laughs> to the high seas on these like nerd cruises, which you do with Hodgman and Jonathan Colton and Jesse Thorne and folks like that. Right. Well, it's a new concept, um, which is that, uh, like, old people want to be on a cruise. And what seems new to you is that you are becoming an old person, and (laughs) you are thinking, why are all my peers going on this boat? But really, it's you that's changing. I was going to ask you why all my young friends are having large prostates yeah. and getting stuff from AARP, too. That was my follow-up question. Yeah. What, what is wrong with people? Why is everyone playing canasta these days? Yeah. It's because we're getting old fast. But this sounds like a blast, actually, when you guys go out and do this stuff. You, you guys play music. You do little, what, like breakout sessions? I mean, you're just on a cruise in, is it the Caribbean or yeah, yeah. the Atlantic? Yeah, it, 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 we, go, uh, we go to a different like, series of ports of call in the Caribbean every year. And it's basically like if you take the hotel from The Shining and you float it. And then you fill it with nerds. And then basically I just do the Jack Nicholson part. Uh, but but it's, a, it's a great, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's kind of a, a closed system and everyone is trapped. Including the performers, so there's this very intimate interaction between performer and audience that is entirely unwelcome. For whom? For, for me. Uh, but, you know, you're in the hot tub and suddenly it's full of your fans, which every musician dreams of. But that's actually nothing new for you because I remember a thing you did in Seattle where it was at a, a great hotel in Seattle called the Sorrento and they got artists and put them in bathtubs and had people walk through the hotel and talk to them, except you had a bubble issue covering your manhood. I did, I did have a little bit of a bubble issue, <laughs> uh, which was, an, uh, which was uh, an added bonus for the people that made it into that, ba- that bathroom. But, yeah, Luke, you're right that as a rock musician, I am used to having fans in hot tubs with me, but in the, in the past, I have gotten to choose the fans... And on the cruise, it's really a self... They self-select. But I I highly recommend it if you are a nerd and want to be with your your favorite uh, comedy music people that you get on a a cruise ship with them. You really learn that that whole story, and I've been on a cruise before, you learn how essentially unnatural it is to have all the comforts of Cleveland... In the middle of the ocean. Like, hey, you want to go bowling? Do you want to have an ice cream sundae from one of three 24-hour Sunday bars? Yeah. You want to do Pilates? Like, that shouldn't be happening in the middle of the ocean. And when, and when it breaks down, it breaks down real bad. Well, there are 3,000 3, paying customers on the boat and then another 2,500 staff. And we're there for eight days. And there is enough beef on the boat for 5,000 people to eat for eight days. There has to be like a bowling alley full of beef somewhere under the boat. And that is horrible to think about. And I I suspect that it's just like a a giant 5,000-gallon tank of beef. And they just have little like kind of like uh, cake frosting molds where it's like roast beef, hamburger. Okay. 
We've got to uh, we've got to have you play a song, but but maybe when we come back, we can talk more about it because I love the idea of a couple people from Iowa trying to understand what a John Roderick is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, are you one of the magicians? Yeah. I do a little question and answer session, and that doesn't help anyone understand better what I'm there for. Um, you wrote a piece in the Seattle Weekly recently that lit the internet on fire, which uh, the uh, the headline was "Punk Rock is Bull." Yes, I was not prepared for how many people took umbrage at this thesis. <laughs> by, by the second day, it was the most read article in the history of the Seattle Weekly. <laughs> and by the third day, it had topped even that. And every single reader was mad. It, it bested my article, Kletzmer is Tolerable, <laughs> which was the previous... Most read story at the paper's website. Yeah. Well, and Kletzmer is, to is Tolerable was, uh, it, it's, very, it's very similar to the title of the 40 parody articles that were written about punk rock is bull after the fact. What was the thesis? Uh, well... I mean, if you can boil it down. Uh, the thesis was that punk rock is bull <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, John Rogers. Thank you. It's Thank you great. so much. Um, no, it was that, uh, it was that ultimately uh, punk rock as a theory, as a, as a philosophy of culture, and I'm not talking about the music, but as a philosophy of culture, it is intrinsically, it knows what it is opposed to, and yet it is, uh, but it doesn't have, it's not for anything. It's just against all the things, uh, it's against disco, it's against the Democratic Party, it's against Margaret Thatcher, it's against everything. But... You cannot, you cannot make a thesis of punk rock that is pro-anything. And I was instructed by many, 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 many people that because I had not been to their youth center in Orlando, Florida, <laughs> I did not understand what punk rock was about. And so now I am making a systematic study of all the punk rock youth centers in America, and I'm going to write a follow-up article. I, I feel like a lot of the people who were most upset at you misunderstood that you weren't actually talking about the music. You were talking about the way that people use it as an excuse to not get their <laughs> together. And, and, and the fact that they're rebelling against something by having bad credit. <laughs> if, you can, if you can believe it, a lot of the people that are most fully vested in the religion of punk rock did not read my article all the way through. So, and, and, and frankly, a, a, a punk is a religion for, uh, for a generation of atheists. So people have, it, punk has morphed into, uh, in such a way that it now fulfills a lot of the duties of a, of a, of a proper religion. It is, the, it is an article of faith for a lot of people. Now, when you get hundreds, if not thousands, of angry comments and emails, does any part of you think, oh, I might have been wrong about that? Well, what's funny is I got a lot of letters of support from rock musicians around the world, some of them famouser than me. <laughs> and, and what unified all those letters of support was that none of those people wanted those letters made public. So I, I, knew that I, I knew that I had hit on some, I, I had hit on something that resonated with people that do the job that I do, which is go out every day and try and make art that has, has credibility and is like, has an intrinsic value. And we, are, we always feel like we're pushing up against this, this monolith uh, of, I guess, what is the, the, the descendant of that punk rock attitude that you're not... Whatever it is that you're doing, it's too funky. Or whatever it is that you're doing, it's too earnest, or it's too gay, or it's too whatever it is that punk rock is mad at. Weirdly, I'm doing all of those things simultaneously on yeah. stage right now. That's the trifecta. Yeah, funky, earnest, and gay. Yep. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's hear a song. You got something new, actually, for us, as I understand. Yeah. Uh, after, after many, many uh, years of, of basically just... Um, exploiting my fans, selling them the same dumb songs over and over, 
I decided to write a new song. And that, will, I hope, will keep me going for another couple years. So, here it is. Thank you for indulging me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. That was John Roderick, and you are listening to Livewire Radio. If you're in the Portland area, come to our next taping on April 27th here at the Alberta Rose Theater. Guests include author Augustine Burroughs and Kyle Patrick Alvarez, the first filmmaker to adapt a David Sedaris story for the screen, plus so, so much more. Visit us at livewireradio.org for more information. Ten on the clock, Curry inbounds, cross court to Jefferson, back to Curry now. Murphy open on the outside, the pass, the shot, it's no good, and the rebound goes to Syracuse. Oh, there's a timeout call. uh, Someone's hurt, Marv. Syracuse calls a timeout, and it looks... Oh, God. And it looks like we have an injured player. Oh, his leg. It appears Uh. Dion Williams has a badly injured leg. Oh, no, that's bad. We're going to take a look at the instant replay, and I should warn you folks at home, it's pretty graphic stuff. Now, he went for the block on Murphy and landed wrong on his leg. Yeah, wow, the, the leg just completely buckled in on itself, You can Marv. see the Syracuse bench react. That is, oh, oh, God, I can't look. Here it is again, Stu. 
Might be the worst thing I've seen in college basketball, Marv. Syracuse players now huddled at midcourt in prayer for their teammates. <sighs> it is unwatchable. Here we have from a different angle. <laughs> That's terrible. It's just terrible. I I hate to say it, Marv, but that might be the end of his career right there. Well, we certainly hope that that's not the case. No, 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 of course not. But, but that you can't unsee something like that. All right, and uh, here it is again in slow-mo. Yeah. I mean, every time I see that, I die a little on the inside. Yeah. And uh, now let's take a look up at the Jumbotron. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm worried it's burned into my mind now. It's unwatchable, Stu. It really is. Here's video now from somebody in the bleacher's cell phone. Yeah. And now, of course, from the Dion Williams leg cam. Yeah. You know, I never thought we'd find a need for those leg cams, Marv. You know, it really gives you that up-close look at the tibia fracture. I wish I could just forget what I saw. And uh, one last time from our Teledeportes Uno Spanish language feed. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. Wow. Williams is being loaded onto a stretcher now, and we'll be back after this quick commercial break. Jeez, oh, Marv. What? Commercial break? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. Have break. some decency. <laughs> That's Sean McGrath and Andrew Harris. James Urbaniak is best known for his four seasons as the voice of Dr. Rusty Venture on the sensationally weird cartoon The Venture Brothers, which airs on Cartoon Network's Adult Swim. You've probably also seen him in about 100 million other things, including playing the artist Robert Crumb in American Splendor, to guest roles in The Office, Homeland, and The New Normal. Last year, using only GarageBand and some chutzpah, Urbaniak started a podcast called Getting On with James Urbaniak. He works with a different writer each time, creating 10 to 20-minute radio dramas, which he then records himself. We asked James to create a radio drama just for us, and he agreed, working with writer Bree Williams, to create what they call a Portland noir, which was James's idea, but it made sense to Bree, because, to quote her, Portland seems all, quote, shadowy and junk. Please welcome James Urbaniak and the cast of Livewire Radio. And now, a dark tale of mystery suspense set in the damp underworld of Portland, USA. The makers of Clino present James Urbaniak in The Wrong Side of the River. People don't talk about the rain in this city. If you mention the weather, it marks you for an outsider right away. I get it. I've broken my arm four different times. After the first time, you get tired of telling people how it happened. After the second time, you stop wanting people to sign the cast. Taxi! It was my first time in Portland. I've been flown in for a voiceover gig on an animated feature. Stop motion, very rare these days. I wanted to make a good impression so far, I was running late. Uh, do you know where this is, 22nd Avenue? Do I? My ex lives over there. <laughs> Great little brunch spot on the corner. Lola's. They have Bloody Marys infused with bone marrow. It's yeah, thanks. Thanks. Gee, it's really raining, huh? <laughs> where are you from? L.A. Uh, I bet you're late for something, huh? <laughs> no, no. Oh, then you won't mind sharing with that girl up there. Oh, that's fine. Hey, need a lift? I sure do. Oh, hello. Hi, I'm James. Veronica, thanks for picking me up, James. The driver picked you up. You could have picked me up if you wanted to. I'm not driving. You can do a lot in a back seat. You should buckle up. We're not going that fast. We're going fast enough. Uh, I don't think you can smoke in here. Fine with me. Where are you going? I'm not sure anymore. Where are you going, James? He's going to uh, Lola's, and he's late for something. <laughs> Typical Angelino. Mmm, <laughs> I love Lola's. They have these Bloody Marys infused with lavender. Do they have any Bloody Marys infused with vodka? Those are my favorite. <laughs> You're funny, James. I like your glasses. Thanks. I like your tattoo. What is it? It's the Swifts, see? The Swifts? Is that a band? No, silly. The Swifts are birds. 
At the same time every year, this flock of migrating swifts all gather at this one particular chimney. And they nest there each night at sunset until there's literally thousands of them. And then they fly on together to South America. Or wherever. But see here? See here on my shoulder? This is one that showed up late. Because I always wondered, would he stay in the chimney all winter by himself and freeze to death? Or would he try to fly on, alone? Oh, is that your phone? So, what do you do? Uh, I'm an actor. Anything I've seen? I do voices on a cartoon called The Venture. Hey, I know that guy. Can you let me out here? Shoot, all I have is a five. Uh, don't worry, I got it. Thank you, James. What's your last name? Urbaniac. I'll have to Google you later. So you don't want to get out here, too? What? No, listen, yes, I am late for something. Oh, of course. Only a few more blocks. Oh, she forgot her phone. Huh? I suppose I could take it. I mean, she'll probably call it. Then I could meet her or something to give it back. That'll be 32.86. As the cab's taillights disappeared around the corner, I found myself standing in front of an abandoned warehouse, as wet and alone as a pillowcase full of unwanted kittens. The address was right, but everything else was dead wrong. Except for a shopping cart and a lumbering wharf rat, the whole place was deserted. Trying to convince myself it was probably just some version of industrial chic, I approached the boarded-up door. Hello? Oh, um, hello? Who's this? Do you know someone named Veronica? I found her phone. You found her phone? Yeah, in a cab. She left it in the back seat. The back seat, huh? What's your name? Uh, James Urbaniak. You're in a lot of trouble, James Urbaniak. Oh, hey, I didn't steal it or anything. I told you Veronica left it in the cab. Veronica's dead. Do you dread wash day? The sorting, the folding, the drudgery? Ah, oh, do I ever! Well, let Cleano turn wash day into gosh day. Gosh day? On account of you'll say, gosh, this laundry feels and smells as soft and fragrant as a kitten in a flower patch. Oh, thanks, Cleano. Cleano laundry detergent, now available in Canada. And now we return to the wrong side of the river. The man on the phone told me he was a police detective and that he wanted to meet me to ask a few questions. I tried to call the animation office to tell him I was officially going to be late, but there was no answer. Not even a machine. There was nothing else to do but go across the street to Lola's and wait. Am I too late for brunch? You're too early. We only do midnight brunch. Oh, well, I'll have a coffee then. You want a lobster corn dog to go with that? Best in town. Just coffee's fine. Oh, sit anywhere. Pardon me, sir. Are you an actor? Why, yes. Ah, a master liar, a craftsman of the deceptive arts. <laughs> now, people always think that, but I'm actually a terrible liar. Most actors are. People tend to think actors are very observant, always studying human behavior and stuff, but we're usually total space cases. I've broken my arm four different times just from walking into poles and things. Are you James Urbaniak? Yeah, have you seen me in something? I have heard you on something. A dead girl's stolen cell phone. Detective Mallory. Oh, sorry. Listen, I, I didn't steal it. I tried to tell you. I just shared a cab with her, and she left it on the seat. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to have to come down to the station with me to clear this up. Look, I do want to cooperate. I'm really late for this job. C could I maybe come by afterwards? Where's this job? Across the street. You're late for a job at an abandoned warehouse? It's supposed to be an animation studio. Could, 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 could you take a look at this address? All right. Oh, see, there's your problem. You're on Northeast 22nd. You want Northwest... Okay, you're on the wrong side of the river, pal. I'm from Los Angeles. Well, the addresses on this side of the river are kind of like a mirror version of what's on the other side, and you're on the other side of the mirror, so why don't you come with me and I'll drop you off? Then you come down to the station after you finish working. It's right down the street from here. Oh, that'd be great, thanks. Don't mention it. Listen, that girl, Veronica, is she really dead? This way. I'm parked in the back lot. When I saw the windowless black cargo van with flames painted on the side... Idling exhaust fumes into the air like so many carbon monoxide ghosts, I started to get the suspicion that Detective Mallory might not be a policeman after all. Actually, that's not true. I wish I had suspected it right then and there, but like I said, I'm not very observant. When he pulled a gun on me, that's when I started suspecting. All right, don't make any weird moves. Hey, that's not necessary, is it? I told you I'd cooperate. I'm not a cop, dummy, okay? I'm a bass player. Now take me to the last place you saw my girl. Uh, I guess it was somewhere between here and the airport. Listen, buddy, take me to Veronica or I'll drive up to Savi Island and put a bullet in your guts in the middle of a pumpkin patch. No one will find your body till Halloween. 
think, let me think. Uh, up here, take a left. Oh, you are a terrible liar. Ah! Hey, get back here, dude. When I jumped out of the car, I landed in the middle of the turn lane and broke my arm on impact. <laughs> Luckily, you can't feel the pain at first. Your brain's got its own morphine drip called shock that I found lasts at least an hour. I was up and running in three seconds, dodged a bread truck, slid over an embankment, ran across the footpath, and kept going down the other side. I finally made it to the river. Just across the water, the right side of the mirror stared back at me. Uh, uh, hello? James. Veronica. Yeah, you have my phone? Yeah, listen, there's a guy in a van looking for you. Ugh, my boyfriend. He has a gun. Oh, it's not loaded. He can't afford bullets. Where are you? I'm under the bridge. Which one? There's like nine bridges. Oh, okay, well, uh, it's made of metal, it's tall. Not helping, James. I broke my arm, and I should go to the hospital, and it's very late, and I've got an important job that I'll probably get fired from, and I didn't book any pilots this season. Just look around and describe where you are. I see an endless void of rain and darkness. (laughs) Just meet me at Lola's. Uh. Here is your phone. Take it. Thanks for rescuing it for me. You're welcome. But you really should pay more attention to where you leave your personal belongings. Oh, I was paying attention. The truth is, James, leaving my phone in that cab was no accident. I knew you'd pick it up. And I also knew he'd call and immediately come looking for you when a man answered the phone. He's a bass player. They're jealous like that. You set me up? Why? Because I'm leaving him. And I needed to get him out of the apartment long enough so that I could take back my original press wipers vinyl. Which he thinks is his, but it's totally not. I mean, I got him into the wipers, you know? The wipers? Is that a band? Portland proto-grunge? Nirvana covered them? They were vitally important, James. But it doesn't matter anymore. The point is, I love you. Look, baby, what we had was special. That was a highly enjoyable cab ride. But you lied to me, you set me up, and you almost got me killed. Oh, I have a text. Hold on. Great! I'm two hours late, and they've given my part to a guy in accounting. Can't we put all that behind us and start fresh? We'll get a little apartment together. You could still act. I know a guy who runs a street puppet theater. Here's 40 bucks. Get yourself a cab. Your boyfriend's waiting. You two belong together. You have tattoos. He has a tongue piercing. You're both used to the rain. I'm from L.A. If I stayed up here, I'd just freeze to death. Like that little swift on your shoulder blade. No, sister, I'm flying south. Well, first I have to go to the hospital, then I'm flying south. James. Goodbye, Veronica. Waiter. A lavender Bloody Mary. To go. You have just heard The Wrong Side of the River, written by Bree Williams and James Urbaniak, brought to you by Clino and Livewire Radio. That's James Urbaniak and the cast of Livewire Radio. James Urbaniak, welcome to Livewire. Thank you. It's good to be here. Have you actually been on would-be auditions or would-be gigs that feel more or less like that? <laughs> like, like, like uh, a, a nightmarish uh, yes. thing of the soul? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yes, mostly commercial auditions. Those are sort of the most nightmarish. What is the thing that you've... Because you're a working actor. You've been in so many things. But you're also still, you know, going out on auditions. Absolutely. And trying to book gigs. What is the thing that you've been on where you've been trying out for it and thinking, please, God, don't let me get this because I'll be mortified if people know that I got this gig. I've done, like... I know I've auditioned for, like, like big-budget action films, usually as, like, the computer guy. And... Uh, <laughs> You say something like, the quarterback is toast. You come in and you give a piece of paper to Bruce Willis. (laughs) Or you you get to do the the arm thing where you're you're hacking the mainframe and you go, bingo. That was actually a visual for those listening at home. You do a little flourish with your hand. Or you're the guy who goes, what was the name of his cat? Fluffy. We're in. But some of those scripts aren't that great. You know, I started out in the theater. One has a certain idea about acting. But then those things will come out, and I'll see the trailer, and I'll go, I can't believe I'm not in that. Um, so have you just made peace with, uh, with, with that, that part of your business that you want to be in involves being in a, uh, you know, there are the things that pay the most money, and those are typically not the things that are the most artistically rewarding, probably. Yeah, right? well, there's who's there. And it's just a weird thing. Like, auditioning is just, I, I, 
I had a breakthrough a few years ago when I realized that auditioning is just its own little show that you're doing for... It's very odd, like you're playing a comedy scene in a conference room for a bunch of sort of people who are very hard to read. It's not really the best way to play a comedy scene. Uh, but then when you realize it's just its own perverse little show, uh, then I, it was sort of freeing to me. And it often has very little to do what, what, with what you'll actually do if you get the gig. So you just try to enjoy the moment... Even as your soul is being crushed, you tell yourself, this is the journey. <laughs> yes. Although I had one in L.A. recently, and I didn't book any pilots this season. This is all so true. <laughs> Except I've never broken my arm, which I will tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I, had a, I had a pilot audition. It was a very good part for me. He was like the principal of a middle school. And in the scene, the guy is sitting at a desk talking to the other character. And when I came in, it was a full room, as these rooms often are. And there was no chair for the actor. And I thought, oh, well, it's kind of a sitting down scene, and that has its own energy. And then I just thought, oh, forget it, I'm fine. And then once I started, all I could think was, I need a chair. <laughs> <laughs> and any actor will tell you the worst thing for a scene is to be thinking about anything else but the scene. And it was just enough of an adjustment to my brain that the scene just didn't land. And then while you're playing it, you're thinking that too. Oh, I need a chair, and also the scene's not landing, because I'm thinking about how I need a chair. So I screwed that one up big time. You didn't book that? <laughs> no. Is that why you're not in the new season of JAG? <laughs> yes, as the computer guy in the chair. <laughs> We're in. And that and the fact that JAG was canceled, I think, seven years ago. I wondered why the building was closed. <laughs> We're talking to James Urbaniak. Uh, you also have this podcast, which is very, very carefully constructed, that you... I understand, put together at your house. It involves yeah. a lot of actors and sound effects and like careful mixing. Did you know how to do this stuff before you started making the podcast? Not really. I just kind of learned from doing it. Just kind of, and of course, <laughs> you can learn to do, well, you can understand theoretically how to do anything by Googling. Because you'll be like, how do I do this effect with sound? And then someone will explain it. But there's a lot of amateur people just doing stuff. And it, yeah, it was just kind of like, in a, I moved to L.A. six years ago from New York, and I find that you feel your downtime more in L.A. If you're an actor, you spend a lot of time waiting for the phone to ring. So it was just part of an effort to just start making stuff. And I thought, well, let's just make these little solo, they're mostly actually solo plays, there are a couple other actors in them. But then it's just like using GarageBand, and I know a ton of writers, I've always had great writer friends. So, uh, and then the woman who co-wrote that with me, Brie Williams, is a really talented writer, and we've been collaborating on a couple ourselves. But yeah, it's just a kind of little solo endeavor. They're like little monologues. But the character's name is always James Urbaniak, but he's not necessarily me. Like in the last one, James Urbaniak is a college professor who just got fired, and he goes to a party and gets drunk, and it's sort of him recollecting this weird night. People also know you from Adult Swim, which yes. is a testament to the existence of Adult Swim really is a testament to how much marijuana gets smoked in this country. <laughs> There is a certain kind of non-sequitur-driven house style that yes. I think is thrown into relief if you're under certain substances. But we're actually a very traditional narrative-driven show, although we are, we, we are trippy in our way. Venture Brothers is by straight people for straight people in the non-marijuana-using sense. We embrace all sexualities. A lot of the popularity of Adult Swim obviously comes through the website too, right? Because it's... it's well, it's very community-driven and fan-driven. And I used to go, in the early days of the Venture Brothers, I, I started an account on the Adult Swim message boards that was not my name, and I just kind of... That's the one people. time you don't use James <laughs> Urbaniak? Exactly. The only time... And all my, that's why I don't get these movies, because I always insist they call the character James Urbaniak. <laughs> hey, Bruce Willis, it's James Urbaniak here. <laughs> We've cracked the code. <laughs> The real James Urbaniak, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire. What a pleasure. Thank you. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Markets. You know, Earth Day can be kind of a sort of a bummer holiday. You don't get to take more than just one day off of work. Nobody gives you anything. You don't get to light anything on fire. But Whole Foods is looking to change that by celebrating Earth Day for the entire month of April and letting you light fires at the stores. <laughs> we're, not doing the, we're not doing the fires? It'd be nice if I got a script revision before I was on stage. <laughs> well, Earth Day, all April at Whole Foods Markets. More information can be found at WholeFoodsMarket.com. We'll be right back.
once again, Rose Cousins. right here on LiveWire. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for tonight. Thank you. Our thanks to our guests, John Roderick, James Urbaniak, and Rose Cousins. Our house band is Jim Brunberg, Dave Jorgensen, and Ben Landsberg. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Ergo Depot, and... Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art. The Oregon Cultural Trust and listeners like you fine beautiful people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater are writer, performer Sean McGrath and performers Trisha Ferguson, Andrew Harris and Laura Faye Smith. Our head writer is Courtney Hommeister, with additional show writers Jason Rouse, Ben Coleman, and Scott Poole. Sound effects and direction by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom, with house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Mark Bauck. Show theme is written by Ralph Huntley and Courtney Von Draley. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and 
make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast. From PR.